Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. I'm your host, Lindsay Fox. I'm here with uh, Greg Hale from Hale Tip, uh, which is uh, technology and practice. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for coming on. Good morning, Lindsay. Thank you. So, Greg, you are a uh, self-described disruptor in the AECO industry, and you've been in the industry for about 20 years. Uh, give us a little bit of your background right. and your some information about your your company. Yeah, so I've been uh, been around for quite a long time. Uh, it's kind of the earmarked twenty years. Uh, started out coming out of civil engineering uh, school of the University of Nevada Reno. Uh, initially worked for a uh, structural steel fabricator and erector in Reno, Nevada, and really. Went to the school of hard knocks there, got thrown into the fire with some project management, um, thrown into the field with a bunch of project superintendents who were ready to bite your head off at any, uh, anything missed on a project and really learned a whole heck of a lot in a few years that I was there. Um, now, like I said, really being thrown into the fire and you know, coming out of school using uh, very little of my engineering degree, I really wanted to pursue uh, getting my engineering license and so getting into an office getting into more disciplinary design and you know at the same time was just newly married and my wife was from uh, the east coast in rochester new york so we decided to pick up um, move out and start in the engineering field so i was lucky enough to, to land at a nice engineering architecture firm in rochester new york uh, where they provided me the opportunity to, to learn all about structural engineering and design lots and lots of different styles of building. So it wasn't any specific area of focus, but pretty much you name it from baseball dugouts up to, you know, multi-million dollar manufacturing facilities, housing units, et cetera. We, we kind of covered the gamut for that. So I really got to see a lot of work there. And uh, eventually this thing called Revit came around introducing the world to building information modeling and BIM. And it really turned me on to it. That um, was definitely someone who was, I'm going to interrupt you because I need to know your time frame. When you were working for this firm, like what, what okay. years are we talking? So uh, graduating around 1999 and then uh, coming out and working for several years in project management and working in engineering uh, starting 2001, 2002. Okay. So, so then when did you stumble upon Revit? So this was around the 2006 to seven time frame. And then really started to adopt to 2007 to 2008. Okay. Well, so you're like original, the OG. I wouldn't say quite original, you know, provided that, you know, the, the original gangster started in the, you know, 2000, early 2000, 2001, 2002, really building up from scratch. Um, and I would say probably a little bit more leading edge is the, the term that I like to use. Okay. Smart. So that means that the majority of your work preceding that was done in AutoCAD and you found like good workflows there. Was it difficult for you to transition? Um, I wouldn't say it was difficult for me to transition. I had a decent CAD background. Um, 
you know, starting off in school with, I think it was like AutoCAD 14. Um, and then switching between several different platforms between the different firms that I had worked with, um, some CAD platforms to do steel design, uh, which were very specific to steel. And then uh, CADvance, which was another kind of oddball platform that the design firm was using onto MicroStation as a, a direct competitor to AutoCAD. And then switching to AutoCAD and then AutoCAD architecture and then eventually Revit. So I'd been around the block on several different CAD platforms and then, you know, Revit really being a game changer. So when was it that you were ready to kind of pull the trigger and go out on your own? Uh, it, was, it was quite a few years later, um, really after I had been around the block working with that design firm and helping them to uh, really adopt. It was a, a multi-year mission to make that happen. And there was a, just a lot of learning to be had both for myself and for the firm on what it was going to take to make that transition. So it was a firm of about 80 people at the time. Um, and it did literally take about three years to make that transition over to um, full rabbit. That's impressive though, that in the era they're looking to create, you know, digitizing their platform and then evolving it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the timing was, was really good for me. Um, was quite lucky enough to have the, uh, the leadership in place that was allowing me the opportunity to kind of step into that role as opposed to being uh, fully traditionally, we call billable in the industry where they have target rates of upwards of 95% billable on projects. You know, they allowed me to go all the way down to about 25% uh, billable to handle just the transition and the management that needed to take place to, to make it work. That definitely speaks to one of the barriers that we've run across in um, BIM adoption is, is that lag in billable production hours that a firm has to face. And it is, it is a huge challenge if you, want to, if you want to be sustainable. And I would say in the early 2000, well, 2008, you know, there's like this huge crash. So I would say that definitely added to the delay in um, making that transition um, so where did, well, Hale is your last name, um, and then yeah. technology and practice, like, was this something that sort of just came to you or how did you develop your business name? Well, it, it was an evolution throughout that process of, you know, helping this design firm, you know, get to the point where they were hundred percent Revit. Uh, we were essentially the only design firm in the area that was doing it to that level. Um, others were maybe 5, 10, 15% and dabbling in it and really struggling with it. Mm -hmm. um, during that time, uh, a friend and I had started a, a local Revit user group is what it amounted to. And we started doing monthly sessions and talking about, you know, the challenges. And so we were able to network with a lot of folks around the area. Um, and over time, that really amounted to a lot of people asking for help. And working for a specific design firm didn't allow me the opportunity to really consult with those because that's kind of like giving trade secrets away that the company has paid you know so dearly for over the past three years of implementation or, or more uh, to build standards and build processes etc uh, but really saw it as an opportunity to help all of those other firms to make that adoption you know whether they weren't able to hire a full-time position in-house or afford that this at least allowed a part-time opportunity for all those firms to employ somebody to help them through the process. 
So when did so, you actually pull the trigger to, to leave the existing firm and go out on yeah. your own? And who are your, who are your cohorts? So 2014 was the, the year that I finally made the transition uh, out on my own. And it wasn't just the, the BIM consulting that allowed me to do that. The other transition was really the 3D laser scanning. And that was really the maturity of the market starting to come into play and the ability to actually um, probably do 50% of BIM consulting work as well as 3D laser scanning. So there was a lot of services that were um, available out there to you know, target with these different customers. And so having that balance of BIM consulting and 3D laser scanning allowed me to feel comfortable that we could go out and provide those services and be you know, a versatile business. Uh, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of laser scanning. That's actually how we met. Um, cause I had purchased, um, a BLK, uh, like a BLK, um, and was Googling to see, you know, what, what was being offered in Rochester, um, in my area and stumbled upon your company. And I was like, oh yeah, this is exciting. We've got someone else in the industry. However, my experience leading up to that was, uh, when I would call up firms that had technology, they kind of set it up as their key differentiator. So there was a lot of protectionism around it. So when I got in touch with you, I was excited because you had, um, you had a philosophy that seemed very open. Uh, and that openness, you know, you, you, me and Rebecca all met week for coffee. You were work, working uh, one of the parallels that you have with uh, Lance and Alex is that they're, They'll do uh, adjunct profession, prof professor work. And at the time, you were doing the same thing. Right. Um, so yeah. there was a lot of overlap, I would say, in the culture that I had already kind of immersed in. And uh, he, getting to hear your insights on uh, laser scan technology and how profound they are when you're trying to get into BIM um, was really exciting to hear. So how did you, like, what was your entrance into the laser scan world? Uh, actually, it happened fairly early. It started in, uh, I want to say it was 2008 or 2009. We had a very large project um, in Canandaigua, New York, and had hired a firm to come in and do some 3D laser scanning. Uh, they were out of Boston, a firm that's still around, is doing good work. And um, they did a pretty good job at a reasonable price, but still left us hanging for some information that just wasn't quite captured. And it was because of our, our maturity and not understanding exactly what we wanted. And then further down the line, we kind of saw some more potential at a local hospital. Um, and we hired another, another firm locally that had a laser scan. It was an engineering firm. And these guys went out and they laser scanned and they did a great job laser scanning. And they also um, were going to hand over a BIM model and they left us sorely lacking in, you know, what we really wanted out of that building information model. And when you look at it, you go, you know what? I can operate that piece of machinery. It's not that hard to laser scan, uh, but I really know, I know what to do with it. Um, and so that was where there was a lot of industry professionals out there offering laser scanning services, but they didn't have the industry background to make good 3D BIM models. Yeah, so the laser scan data in, in itself is powerful, but what we're looking for in the BIM industry is that down, downstream value and creating a building information model that can, that can provide the data and the analytics around 
uh, that data, I think, is what really is revolutionizing the, the industry. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. The... Um, so the laser scan operator, so this is kind of one of those key pain points that we have, uh, is laser scans can be specified as contract provisions. However, if you're not, if you're a stakeholder or owner and you're specifying this, uh, this provision, it, do you feel it's important to understand uh, the key deliverable out of that provision? And what would you say that is? No doubt. And that, that can vary all over the place. Um, to kind of, you know, reframe the question a little bit is, you know, we get asked on a consistent basis, um, you know, we have a, a scan pro or we have a project, we think it needs laser scan to get field measured. Uh, you know, it's 100,000 square feet, what's your cost? And typically our response is, well, what are you trying to do with those measurements? And the, there's such a wide variety of what you can do with those measurements, whether it's just building an architectural model to understand walls and ceilings up to, you know, I need to understand the floor flatness of the space or well, we're actually going to demolish, you know, half of this building. You know, a lot of these things kind of vary in, in the areas of focus. And so you can change around the, the scope of work for the laser scanning. And when you don't understand that, it just becomes a survey work, right? And we're going to go measure it and then we're going to hand your measurements and we may not get the exact thing that you need. Um, or we may not focus on the right thing. So asking the questions why is, is that, that main key question you need to ask clients They're turning around. And that's you know, very often they don't know what they're asking for. So you have to help them along that line of saying, well, well, why are you intent on getting these measurements? So to be a thoughtful consumer of laser scan and um, BIM technology, would you say that the operator of the laser is paramount important kind of stuff or can anybody go out there and laser scan it i would say anybody can laser scan but not everybody can do a great job because they don't know what the data is being used for so you know an engineer is going to look much differently at a building than an architect might right for those features um, and i'll even you know be quite honest we had a historical preservation job recently and had a scan crew out there and someone who didn't have the, the same kind of background, there was a scan of three or four people, or a scan crew of three or four people. And one of the, the scanners made the comment like, man, now that I've gone through and I've, I've actually modeled all this geometry and we've talked through all this process, I think I would have scanned it a little bit differently um, because I know now you know, what, what I should have been looking for. You know, some of these little details and it's just a matter of repositioning the measuring tool to a different spot to capture that thing that you really need. So having a different eye on what you're looking for. And, and that's, that's where, you know, when you hire a surveyor with a laser scanner, they have a much different eye to what they're going to scan versus an architect or an engineer or fabricator, you know, you name it, someone's going to have a different use case for it. Exactly. And starting to get the information out there to uh, the consumer market and saying, you know, these are the things you're going to want to look for um, and ask for. And then um, be very clear in your contract provisions as to what your goal is for the information that you're hiring to be captured. Seems to be a huge Correct. thing. And then I wanted to know from you, what's it been like running your business and how so you've been in operation since 2017 you said 2017 
2014. 14. So we are a full six years into it, um, and it has been a roller coaster for sure. It has been a challenge. Um, yeah, from from a, a rough start uh, getting going and up to uh, you know 12 employees. It's been uh, it's been a long haul, and it's uh, it's quite honestly a, a lot of a lot of hard work and effort uh, going into it. Um, but, uh, you know, early on we, we started off, we had a, a really, we thought we had a really good start. Um, we had some stuff lined up before launching the business and it was a kind of a standard design project, um, that still had a couple years to go in the process. And, uh, that project ended up getting delayed for at least six months from the get-go. So my, my safety net fell out from underneath the, the business startup within within a week of starting and opening the business. So we were really forced to uh, go out and market and do a lot of lunch and learns and do a lot of, uh, you know, marketing with folks just to get the name out there. And then it took a lot of patience and time to let the opportunities come at that point. So just because you present yourself and the, you know, the fact that you're available to do work doesn't mean that there's work immediately available for that specific task. So then you have to, you know, once people know your name and know you're available to do these things, then you have to wait for those opportunities to come and it's, it's all timing. Yeah. So you've got to build into your business plan and your financial model. Like I was listening to um, how much capital you need to make these because you've got to build in the lag. So once you create right. a service, you have to wait for existing owners or uh, businesses to recognize, to recognize you. And, um, and then, you know, transition, but that takes, you're going to be, you know, have a little bit of a burn rate. I've, I've noticed. Right. And they, there's a, another couple of interesting things about the construction and design industry is there's, uh, pretty much a, uh, a standard of practice that you don't get paid or until the client gets paid. So if you're working for a designer and you bill them, they're going to take and in turn and turn around your bill back to the client and add that in and they won't pay you until they get paid. And if, for instance, they have a project manager who's not so good about billing and maybe it's a couple months down the line before they actually send their client the bill, then you're still SOL and you're still waiting for them to bill their client in order for you to get paid. And they're staunch and it's just industry practice. They, they won't pay you till you, till they get paid. Um, the other thing with growth as well, and this is going to go for any company is to grow a company, you have to invest in it. And that investment has to come, you know, you're, you're investing that money and you're not going to get that return on that investment for several months out. So you're constantly kind of financing the, the growth of the company uh, in order to get that return, just to keep up with the demand, a lot of those cases. So the, the combination of growth, causing you to spend more money on the firm along with not getting paid for, you know, up to 60, 90, 120 days out really, you know, causes that capital to be, to be needed and handy and ready to go. Yes. I have felt that. And I felt right. we, you and I have spoken about um, that balance of having uh, employees that provide you the capacity um, in place to do the work that you know is coming so that you're prepared. 
Um, and then striking that balance, I actually found that um, that actually happened a couple of years into my business. Um, and it, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable place to be. But if you, if you don't go there, you're never going to get there. So knowing... Right. I like this plat this platform of um, inside the firm because there's always been kind of sort of been the what are the pain points what are the things you have to be prepared for and there is a bit of mentorship that is built into uh, having guests like you on and I think that it's um, I think it's great like do you did you have a board of advisors or a panel of mentors that you relied on when developing your business. Well, I will say we, we had done a little consulting. Um, we were lucky enough uh, in Rochester to have uh, a group called 10. So it's the Entrepreneurs Network. And, you know, we went through a couple of classes to talk about that entrepreneurship and the things that you need to have in place. And it was a little more vanilla than I had hoped. It's not necessarily industry specific, specific so they didn't know, uh, you know, the, the pain points of our industry. And, um it was helpful in a lot of ways, but not as helpful in others. Really, my mentorship, I think, has come from colleagues um, that are, you know, this construction technologist position that has really started to evolve in the industry. And you know, basically networking with those guys and seeing them also step out and create companies of their own uh, and doing those things allows, you know, that that mentorship in a way of like, hey, you know, pain points and sharing those across others. And that's been a, just a huge benefit for other 3D laser scan providers, other BIM consultant providers, you know, people that are kind of doing the same thing. We're, we're pretty much all new to this. So, you know, having that, uh, you know, shared experience really helps and, and opening up and, and being honest with those things, you know, really helps and instead of trying to keep that stuff guarded into the chest. And I've experienced that myself, kind of getting into the industry. I felt like the newness of it really created um, an inclusive environment. Um, are there any books or, um, you know, just routine information that's like published that you turn to to gain insights and kind of look at the overall like strategy of your building your company? Well, quite honestly, I'm not very good at at uh, getting into those self-help and entrepreneurship books. Um, so I have not delved far into that. Um, I'm a little bit more going to learn as you go. And, you know, maybe there's some downfall to that. But, you know, quite honestly, I've done fairly well with it. I think it's we're forging our own way. And in some ways, we're challenging those instead of kind of going back to industry norms and kind of following a path that's already been created. We're blazing our own trail. And I think it, it is necessary because we are challenging those, those norms. Do you find that the technology that you're implementing is, is going to be your key differentiator in the market? Or do you find that there's other values that you're bringing to a project outside of the technology and hardware itself? So we actually don't look at the, the specific technology, um, whether it be software or hardware, that is a differentiator for us. It's, you know, there's a couple of things that's uh, the mantra of we practice what we preach. So, you know, we are in part a service provider and in part a uh, consulting firm. So on one side, we are providing services and the other side, we're showing other people how to provide similar kind of services, whether it be in-house or for others. So we actually um, give away our secret sauce constantly. 
And a lot of people think that that is a, a very poor business model, right? So you're giving away your, um, your seekers to a company and now they're going to be competitors. Now, I won't say that we will you know, go out and train someone who is intent on being our competitor. That's definitely a bad idea. But if you go out and you know, there's someone who wants to learn something that could potentially be a business partner and you know, work on things together with, then they're gonna be a trusted partner throughout their history, as opposed to someone that will immediately just go out and learn on their own anyway, and then immediately become a competitor and not share things. So, you know, the business model is really to, to practice what we preach. We, we jump into technology, we learn it, uh, we, we figure it out, we apply it as a service, and then we go teach others how to do it. So we provide, you know, kind of that full range of it, and we do give away the secret sauce constantly. Um, and that's, I think, the differentiator is that, you know, we're not afraid to do that. And we want to become valued partners of projects. We don't want to become competitors. Yeah, I find that I, well, we need to broadcast that construction technology exists. It's awesome. It's creating huge change globally to the benefit of most. And I need it to be done correctly. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've liked partnering with um, Hailtip in regards to developing our own best practices or even in, um, F9 is that we need to start looking at what are the best practices and how do we ensure that when someone has a perception of what laser scan technology can provide them or what Revit is versus what BIM is, uh, what what's awesome about it and that needs to create there needs to be something that's reliable on the other side and i would much rather know the best practices and the quality of the product that 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 we would like to create and have that be out there rather than me having to go up against uh someone a stakeholder having a bad experience with bim or laser scanning and that kind of pulling down the product that we're hoping to push into the market. Do you, have you noticed that? Yes. It makes the fight a lot harder <laughs> yeah. for sure. So I think it, I think it works, but I do think that there needs to be moments where, where we're, um, we're finding other key differentiators that are outside of our, the pure, the technology itself I've noticed is not going to be enough. We need to know, we yes. need to have people in place to use the technology and then a process behind it that creates value. Yeah, I think the, the other piece to it as well, and we see this you know, in, with technology in general, is that we have to be ready to adopt to the change. It's not so much the, the specific change itself, it's the fact that we've learned to adopt to it and become good at it. Um, and this is where a lot of people struggle. They, they don't adapt to the change very well. So you know, it can be a, a pretty difficult uh, business proposition to tell somebody, hey, we, we do think it's the right thing for you to do to transition your company from, let's say, an AutoCAD to a Revit or some other platform to a Revit. But it's probably going to take you three years to do that. And that costs a lot of time and effort. And so, like, the business model behind that financially doesn't look good, but it becomes almost a survival piece. Like, if you don't do this, you will not survive. Mm -hmm. So being ready to adopt that change. And then when you're done with that three years, by the way, the technology is going to change and you're going to have to continue to change to keep up with it. 
So we've become a firm that's very good at adopting to that change and then helping others adopt to it. And that is more the business model than the specific technology itself. I know I've uh, had calls where I've called you up and you're like, oh, haven't you tried this software yet? I'm like, oh, don't tell me I've got to learn another one. And your response is fantastic. You're like, nope, you're in construction tech. Just, just acclimate. And my, uh, one of my jokes is that working with technology is like working with children. You have to like have low expectations, high standards, and infinite page patience. Because <laughs> I know, Agreed. I know that the capabilities exist within the software, um, but sometimes it's temperamental, and you just you gotta like set your expectations. Well, like maybe my laser scan won't turn on today. <laughs> maybe yeah. I'll do a practice run before I go out to that very important field <laughs> field met, field scan. Um, and, uh, and that's where I set my expectations. Nope. I definitely am going to practice in my office before I head out. Yeah. And I definitely have my moments where I find myself being the, uh, the curmudgeon that is saying, oh man, I just don't want this to change on me again. I just got this all figured out. Uh, you know, but then I have to keep myself in check and understand that, yes, I am a construction technologist now and I have to, you know, continually keep up to speed with all of it. It is. It's a, it's an, it's a different headspace that helps you, I think, manage, manage the, the pace. I think that there's, um, some incredible amount, like 500,000% more, uh, technology investment into the construction industry in the last five years than like the last hundred. (laughs) Finally, like I know that construction and the industry in itself is in the bottom of digitization and the adoption of technology, the bottom of everything, like it's under agriculture. And so now there starts to be this influx of technology uh, because of the, we're, we're like, the construction is like the last holdout. <laughs> and so- Agreed, yeah. <laughs> so now there's, now there seems to be an influx and uh, even as a technologist to try and sort through your opportunities and like what, you know, what the best practices are, but also what the hardware and software and the support system behind you is, is actually, I would say a a value. Do you find when you're working in your consulting space that you are actually working as a filter for uh, potential uh, software hardware adoption for the firms that hire you? Oh, that's, yeah, that's definitely a great question. Um, you know, absolutely. They, they really don't want to have to go through the hard work of figuring that out. And that's, that's where we come into that space and say, you know what, we've tried this, we've tried that based upon our experience with all those things, you know, here's what we recommend. And again, that kind of falls back to, we practice what we preach. You know, we've, we've tried this out um, for your particular use case. It doesn't really work. And now you, uh, I, I call it getting rid of those speed bumps. Um, you know, you can just blast through this at full speed ahead and just ignore those ones that don't count anymore. Um, speed bumps not feels going more to like helpful. brick walls. They're <laughs> <laughs> very, that's like a very optimistic analogy you just put out there. Like it does not feel like a speed hump, especially <laughs> when I was looking, um, when I was looking to like branch off into the construction industry, I never thought I was going into construction tech. If someone told me you know, five years ago that I was going to be a construction technologist, I would say you're insane. Um, but I think what's, what's great is that 
the the technology really is compelling once you've taken that deep dive. So I think it's great that you literally just called that a hump. <laughs> I gotta like I gotta I gotta guess that at some point in your career, like that felt like a brick wall. It is a constant fight. You know, so you you have to be willing to fight the good fight for sure, and it never ends. <laughs> it will never end. There is always going to be another good fight to keep pushing and do the right thing and and believing in it for sure. I think it, it takes a certain breed. It does. There is like a tenacity that needs to, to ride with you along, along the journey. So when I got started, I had a whole, I had 30 phone calls that went out to, to my, to my market, which happens to be the same market you're in, um, looking for an opportunity to, uh, provide BIM and construction technology to the residential market. 30 no's. So I need you to kind of like drill back. What, what were some of the, the no's that you got uh, either like through your own psychology or like actually speaking to existing industry that you kind of like, what's the best no you've heard and was it right? Was it wrong? So, you know, I guess going back again to what, brought me over to consult in the industry. We uh, was working with the design firm and we had a fairly large job and uh, we actually had built into the spec, a government spec that required building information modeling and required the design team to do a good job is what really what it amounted to. And as we approached, you know, the end of that deliverable for the design team, you know, there was a lot of pushback on not, not doing that. And really the argument came down to, we actually really don't have the time or the fee to do a good job. That's really what it came down to. Um, they didn't have the time or the fee to meet the spec that was required for the job. And when it came back around a few years later, uh, the project started going under construction. It really came back to bite that team in the butt um, sorely because at that point they had to go back and resolve all the problems that they de- decided to ignore in the design process which would they, they were required to, which they didn't have the time or fee at the time, and they still didn't have the time or fee in construction, but yet they were still going to have to go back and they ended up redesigning the facility over the, the following six months. So, you know, that argument, uh, you know, really played a role in, you know, knowing that we could have a big effect on the business. And then, um, you know, being able to step out and help others take advantage of that and then show the value that it can be done um, and finding ways for that opportunity to happen. It is all about kind of the place and the timing. And it's not always at that design stage. Sometimes it can be in the construction stage. Sometimes it can be in the pre-planning. You know, but a lot of this is finding ways to show that value. And we saw a lot of no's in that, right? And, And that was kind of a consistent theme. And we actually still see it. We just thought this last week on a school project where um, we went through additional coordination meetings and construction and had the designer um, come back and say, you know what, we, uh, we didn't require coordination on this project and you did it anyway. And we thought it was a big pain in the butt, but you know what, this error that we made really would have cost a lot out in the field. It would have cost probably five times as much as redesigning on the computer. So, you know, having that effort and hearing that no, we just keep breaking down that no and keep breaking down that no because we know the value of it. Um, but it's, it's, I don't see the fight going away. 
like I said, we have to be willing to fight. And so it is kind of a constant list of no's. And um, like I said, you got to be a certain breed to consistently say yes. You know, yes, we know the value and yes, we're going to keep pushing it because we know it's right. So what would you say uh, one thing that everyone should know before they go into like the design or construction process? Uh, the, the full planning is key. The getting down to the nitty gritty details and um, there, there's a saying that I use is that the designers are required to provide a buildable product. Not a schematic design, not an engineered design, but something that is actually buildable. And the industry actually still hasn't adopted that fully yet. So, you know, making sure that, you know, as you go into these things, you are considering that something can be built and not just engineered or designed. Yeah, I think that the tone, the tone that I had heard was uh, you need to provide enough in your uh, design sheets to uh, express the design intent. Uh, but ideally, you would leave it to the boots on the ground to figure out how it's all going together. Right. That's all well and good unless it can't be built. <laughs> so. Well, and I think before, before construction technology as we know it now really kind of pushed into the market, uh, to do that, you were simply taking on more risk with, without the tools to support you. So what I appreciate about LaserScan and BIM technology is that in the design world, you can take on more accountability uh, because you're backed by more information and more analytics. And that's why I love seeing, uh, I love Revit, but Revit is not BIM. So building information modeling and going into the digital twin world where you have a model that's intended to, to live alongside uh, the physical structure and uh, support the design professionals and the build professionals in analyzing the structure and, and really building a smart building for smart cities for a smart world. And that's where I totally geek out. <laughs> awesome. Do you find that in your business, you're, uh, you, you, like, what are you doing to create balance and diversity in your culture? Because I find construction and technology really requires a diverse and broad perspective. Yeah, so, you know, for, for balance, um, you know, there's, there's a couple things we do for our team. You know, one thing we've kind of set here for our summers is summer hours. It's not terribly uncommon in the design industry, um, but allowing teams a lot of flexibility. Um, we were, by all means, ready for the pandemic and allowing people to work from home. Um, everything is, you know, pure laptops. Uh, everything is pure cloud-based systems, so we don't have servers in our office, um, and everybody can pretty much pick up and go and work from wherever they're at with, you know, with power. So, you know, that was one bit of flexibility, and uh, we have a fairly diverse staff, uh, several women on the team, and they help bring some different perspective to it. You know, women in construction are, are um, a little bit of a rarity. And they help bring a different view to it because they're continuously challenged um, and have to almost posture in the industry. But they definitely help us bring a different perspective to construction sites, to design design jobs, um, as well as bringing in. Uh, we've had several minorities and some people from uh, you know some interns coming in from overseas, 
that are going to local schools that also provide some different perspectives on what we're doing. World so, perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Some different world perspective um, on this and a lot of it is excitement too. So I know you need some enthusiasm to break through the walls or get over the speed humps, as you said. Yes. All right. So we've got to wrap up. We're closing. We got to, um, I want to follow up with one last question and that is what's your stack? What's your software, hardware, um, preferences? And then, uh, I wanted to get into a little bit. You said, um, your laptop versus desktop. What are some important, um, hardware specs? If you're going on the laptop route, what are, what are those specs you need to build in if you want to be in the laser scan and the BIM world? Gotcha. So I'll start off with some of the hardware. Like I said, we outfit everybody with laptops. Uh, we pretty much buy the most powerful laptop we can buy at the time. And that continues to increase. You know, every few months there's a new processor, there's a new chip, there's new something. Um, so we try to basically max that out uh, for our, our technicians. And you know, in a laser scan industry, in a laptop right now, you can pretty much only fit 64 gigs of RAM in a laptop, which is enough to handle just about any job. Um, and it may not be able to handle as much as, you know, a really beefed up desktop, but it by all means keeps them up to speed with that. So 64 gigs, gigs of RAM or however much you can put in a laptop, it's uh, really helpful. And then also something that gets overlooked is uh, the speed of that RAM. So you can buy different levels of speed. And in the laser scanning industry, it does make a difference, whereas in other industries, it may not. So buying the, the fastest, largest processor, um, the fastest, largest RAM. Same thing with the hard drives. We're using NVMe hard drives for the fastest possible transfer rates. And it does make a difference coming down to just daily tasks of copying one file from A to B. When those files get to be 100 gigs, you're talking about five minutes versus 30 minutes. So just again, having the, the best specs in there. Um, graphics cards, we go with all gaming cards. So the GTX, uh, actually that's the old version of the RTX 2080s uh, is what we spec into each machine now. And it's something that goes against the grain for uh, a lot of firms. They tend to go with the professional cards, but we have a take on that where um, you know, really the reason those cards cost so much, those professional cards, is because they're certified for Autodesk products. Um, and the fact that they are certified costs money. So they in turn turn that cost around back to the consumer and charge you for having something certified. However, the gaming cards are um, moving faster than the professional cards and they're getting updated faster and are by all means just as good. So we are recommending that firms go with that, but it does. Um, also require that they have the right chassis for that laptop or for that desktop to be able to accept those gaming cards. So it's all about the bigger picture and looking at that and going for the fastest um, possible there. Uh, and the fact that we, we need to be mobile um, really dictates that we're, we're using laptops. And by all means, we're typically much, much faster than the firms that we're working for with regards to hardware. For software, we kind of have an endless stack of software and it's always changing. Um, you know, Revit really is the core platform which enables so many other things. So that is, you know, kind of baseline and it's the uh, AEC uh, subscription suite that we dial into. Um, we are big into BIM 360 design for collaborating on 
Revit projects. Uh, we use that internally for our team as well as working with all of our clients. So it allows us that flexibility to not to have to pass files back and forth. Um, so that's really our core day-to-day -day platform. We are heavy into Navisworks still. Well, we are heavy into BIM 360 and consulting a lot with that. Um, for the laser scanning, we are into Ferro products. Um, that is just a, a means of, that is the product that we started into and we have continued that path in that ecosystem. Uh, we think there's a lot of other good scanners out there that we may venture into, but now we are, we are pretty, probably more than knee deep into that particular ecosystem. Uh, we have DJI drones, we use PIX4D for photogrammetry. Um, we're starting to use capturing reality for some more photogrammetry, which is just a really, really impressive tool. Um, it's like I said, it's kind of endless and people ask me, Hey, have you tried this product? And the answer is usually yes. We usually try just about everything. Um, but at some point you have to make a decision for a purchase and then your decision is not likely to change for at least another year till you're going to buy into another product. So you really want to handle those pretty carefully that that product is not going to go away. Um, you know, another good one for a plug is construction site. We've had a lot of success for construction photography with, uh, with that platform. And, and there's certainly uh, a lot of subscriptions that we have as well, you know, monthly subscriptions to different software platforms. Yeah. And so, I would say that that stack is pretty heavy. And if you're a firm and you haven't really put in your digital, digital strategy yet, that I have found that working with firms that are specializing in digital technology services uh, for a time being and partnering to bring that consultancy in um, provides you an opportunity to find the best fit uh, for your particular needs. Um, so if people needed to reach out and wanted to get more information, how can they find you? Sure. Um so by all means, social media, you can find me on LinkedIn, Greg Hale. Uh, you can find me on email, ghale at haletip.com. Um, you can reach out to our website, uh, www.haletip.com, and look at some of our past projects and find some more contact info there. Um, and that should, uh, that should about cover it. Awesome. Well, I love that you took the time um, to chat with us. And uh, I really think it's been um, a great learning uh, experience for me to work with you. And I'm excited for others to kind of hear, hear what you're doing, hear what we're doing in the construction technology space. So I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure.